Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Today's interview is with Beth McKibben, the editor of Eater Atlanta. Hi, Beth. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. Could you please introduce yourself and spare no detail for people who might not know who you are? Uh, okay. Well, uh, I'm Beth McKibben. I am the editor of Eater Atlanta, which is uh, one of the many cities under the Eater umbrella, uh, covering food and restaurant, uh, dining, uh, news, uh, chefs, um, anything to do with the Atlanta food scene inside and outside the perimeter. How long have you been in that position now? Well, let's see. Uh, I started out as a freelance writer uh, under the previous uh, previous um, editor, Christopher Meister, um, and that I want to say that was in 2014 or 2015, and uh, I became the editor of the site in 2017. So, and I mean, what were you doing before this? Um, actually I've been freelancing, um, I've been freelance writing quite a bit. Most of, most of my adult life, um, uh, after I kind of left the marketing game, um, back in the early aughts. Um, and then I kind of shifted into cocktail and wine writing, which I was doing when I was freelancing for eater. Um, so I had, I've actually been a cocktail and, and, um, booze writer, longer than I was uh, a food writer. So, um, and I was freelancing for various publications, including Atlanta Magazine, and then also with the AJC as their uh, first drinks writer. So, uh, and then I got the job here. So <laughs> it's been kind of a circuitous route to this, to this, uh, to this position, which I think a lot of us in this game have been. <laughs> Yes, and many, many, many hats have been worn um, uh, as food writers and drink writers in this in this business. Yeah, as as a result, I've obviously worked for for you and with you, so that's a disclaimer. Um, but but this isn't really about that. It's about you and your story and and how you came to food. One of the questions I always ask my guests is if there was like a moment or like a phase in their life when they knew that food was going to be a thing for them, like beyond just like, I like to eat. Um, I'll be honest with you. And I mean, I enjoy eating. <laughs> so this is a great gig for me. Um, but honestly, I think the first time I knew I was going to be really involved in food um, in my life, um, in some way, shape or form was probably when I was five. And it was because that was the first memory I have of my family going out to eat and not being like at the local diner or at, you know, um, the Burger King or McDonald's. It was an actual like fine dining restaurant. And my family believed very, um, they believed that, you know, in order for children, especially to learn to be good diners, they need to start dining out early. And so it wasn't unusual for my mom and dad to take my sister and I out to eat at nice restaurants where we had to put on a dress or look nice, like put on your Sunday clothing and go out to eat. And my first real meal that I remember going out to was this place called The Gathering in my hometown in Connecticut. And I had a filet mignon. 
And I mean, can you imagine a little five-year-old <laughs> eating filet mignon? My dad and my mother were like, okay, you know, like we're just going to see what happens. And it, it was the first time that I remember becoming like enamored with food and, and not just like the, the, the process of eating and, and, and the flavors and all of that, but just the, the excitement of being out and being, you know, in the dining room and watching people, you know, serve and watching the chefs and just becoming really enamored with, um, the whole process of eating out and being in the restaurants. Um, and it, it's something that my mother and father made sure we did often, uh, as often as we could. Um, and, it, it just kind of went from there, I think. Um, and I mean, I've, you know, we've all, some, most of us in this industry on the media side have worked in restaurants. Uh, mine was a short stint, but, and it was a teenage situation, but uh, it was enough for me to be like, I like the other end. <laughs> this is a very difficult business to be in, which has given me an even deeper appreciation for what the folks that work in this industry full-time and this is their career, what they do, but that appreciation and love for eating out and being, you know, in restaurants has been with me since I was a child. So, um, it came as no surprise to me, to my mother, um, that I ended up writing about it. Um, my father unfortunately passed away before I really got in and seriously involved in the writing aspects, um, of food and, and food and drink and dining. And, um, so he didn't get to see me fulfill that but he would have been right there beside me <laughs> all the meals <laughs> um how did your relationship with food evolve you know over your younger years like so there's this spark your family set the foundation you know as you became more educated um more sentient <laughs> more had more of a disposable income how did that evolve um, you know, obviously when, when you're in college, uh, <laughs> most of us were not very, uh, didn't have a lot of ex expendable income. So, you know, it was a lot of, uh, takeout and things like that. But, um, we always tried even in, even in college when we were not making a lot of money or very little money at all. Um, we always found ways, at least the group of people I was with to like make eating out or eating in our rooms, you know, even if it was Domino's pizza, fun. And so it's, I think that again, the people, it just, I continue to like cultivate my relationship with food and with restaurants, because to me, it's not just about the food. It's about the entire experience, including the food. And you can have really great food and a really not so great experience um, and vice versa. And when all of that comes together, that's when magic happens for me with a restaurant is that it's all there. And so, you know, you have to just be willing to like go out and have both really great experiences and not so great experiences. And those not so great experiences, you have to kind of wonder, okay, like what was the reason behind that? Was it, they were having a bad day? You know, is the restaurant just not very good? You know, it's just, we have to do it mm -hmm. because that's our job, but, but also the, just the right thing to do. Right, <laughs> you know, right. If you're going to be think, like spreading the word. Um, but yeah, I think it's just continuing the continuation of just making sure my relationship with, with dining and restaurants always was like fresh. And I always wanted to try something new. I always wanted to be out 
looking at, you know, dining at the, at, at a, a restaurant that I hadn't tried before trying new things. I mean, and so the relationship that I have with food and with restaurants in particular now, um, I've carried on, you know, that relationship, you know, and, and passed it to my children who I did the same thing with them. They were dining in restaurants that probably weren't the most child-friendly restaurants at a very early age. And they weren't running around the table. They were sitting quietly <laughs> eating, but they tried all of these different things at a young age. And while my son is a slightly more picky eater than my daughter, they both have an appreciation for what the restaurant industry is all about, about <laughs> food. They do like to try new things. Um, my daughter loves to cook. Um, she's in college, uh, has They're both own, college age right now. Yeah, my son mm -hmm. and daughter are both in college now, but my daughter has her own apartment so she can cook whenever she wants. And she's always sending us recipes and saying, I want to try this when I get home, you know. Um, so I feel like that continuation of my desire and my love for food and my love for restaurants is now um, being passed to my children who are both very much appreciative, one more than the other. <laughs> <laughs> My son finds dining out boring, <laughs> so but he does like to eat. But uh, my daughter is like, "Let's go. Where are we going? You know, she's coming. She's coming home for spring break. Well, they both are next week, and um, she's very excited. She's like, "Where are we going?" <laughs> it's been a slow progression, I think, for a lot of people to get back into the swing of things in dining. Um, but I'm starting to see, you know, restaurants filling up more and more. It's really good to see like the the atmosphere returning the joy of dining um and that's what it's all about it's just the joy of eating and the joy of eating out and being amongst people so at least yeah. that is for me <laughs> i do want to talk about atlanta's restaurant scene with you because i do believe you're one of the most in the know um people in this town i mean just the sheer volume of stuff that eater atlanta covers you know like i mean if it's yeah. opening if it's closing if it's coming soon like it's on eater um you know i and i you have to keep up with it but I mean, something that we always talk about um, is like how Atlanta's a really unique restaurant town um, and you compare it to other places uh, and it's just like you would think, oh yeah, like Brooklyn or like LA, like we're going to be, you know, like subpar in some regard, but, right. but it's special. Can you just talk about your perception of Atlanta as a restaurant town? Well, I can say this. There are two parts to the Atlanta dining scene that I find fascinating. One is our huge international food scene that so many people that don't live here don't see and they don't understand. And a lot of that is coming from, I believe, the fact that we have this giant, very busy international airport that is a hub. And a lot of people have come through that airport for business. They may stay here for two or three years. They may stay here for 10 years. They may stay here for a lifetime. But for so many people, Atlanta has become whether a temporary home or a permanent home. And those folks have brought all of their culture, all of their food to the city, to the surrounding area. So what has always been true of Atlanta is how transient it is and how much transportation has um, basically laid the foundation for what the city is all about. It's a hub. It always has been from the very founding of the city through the railroads, uh, even the stagecoach um, roads that would come through here. This was a hub. It was a port. 
it was an inland port, but it was a port. And so I think that you see that um, in the food. That's that's where you're seeing it. It's the most evident, in my opinion, is through the food. Um, you know, and it's not to mention that we have a phenomenal growing season. The season lasts mostly all year long. We maybe have two or three months where it's just not the greatest. Um, but, you know, you can be outside 10 months out of the year most of the time, um, which is great. And people like being down here because it's mostly warm. And we, we've had this wild weather over the last week where it was 85 degrees. Um, but I also think the other part of what has always made Atlanta such a unique food town is the entrepreneurship that happens here, which you're really seeing very, very evident, like in my opinion, to with with what's happening with the pop-up scene. Hmm. We've always had such a strong pop-up scene, but with COVID forcing so many chefs and so many bartenders and so many restaurants to either close or look for work elsewhere or supplement their income, the pop-up scene just exploded. And it is some of the most creative food there's just so much talent out there. People are trying all these really interesting and new things. They're not afraid. And Atlanta diners like the chefs and bartenders and folks that work in food here. They love it. They love that creativity. They love the entrepreneurial spirit of this town. They love that. And that's why you draw so much creativity to the town and not just in food, but in tech in the arts and it all just comes together here. So I've always found Atlanta's food scene to be so, I, I don't know, like it's just, it's just so um, expansive in so many ways. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I remember having these arguments back in the day when we were kind of going through our Renaissance, um, the, you know, the second, I think, Renaissance of the early aughts where there was a lot of like, focus on Southern food and people were arguing like, well, we don't have our own, you know, dish. And I'm like, who cares? I mean, that's the point. We don't, mm -hmm. we're not just, you can't box Atlanta in. And we're like, we didn't that's, have our own style of barbecue. And right. but like our style was a fusion, honestly. Right. Which mm -hmm. is so cool. And to yeah. be honest, it's more interesting totally. and it allows for way more creativity in the mm -hmm. food. So you're not going to be bored. Um, and Sorry I to interrupt you, but just yeah, I want to before I lose it. Uh, just you, you said something that I was discussing with Bart Sasso the other day about mm -hmm. when did Atlanta become such a town that attracted so many creatives? Um, because mm -hmm. you know, as someone who grew up here, it was not this cool when I was growing up. It was <laughs> not there was not this much culture, this much art, you know. And like yeah. as a creative myself, you feel it here. It, it's yeah. like it's an electricity in Atlanta um, that I know, like even people like my friend Basha Rodell, you know, when she's left, like even though she was like in L.A., it was like she she craved it, you yeah. know. And yeah. I think that static electricity really also creates this interesting dialogue that's like a competition between chefs. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, so just to kind of back up a little bit, my my mother is from uh the the uh, Birmingham area. She's from Alabama. And um, when she went to graduate school, she moved to New York and that's where she met my dad. So my dad um, was the minister of um, the largest church in our, in our city for over 30 years. 
And what every summer he took a sabbatical a month off and we would come to Alabama and, and to visit, you know, my grandmother and relatives, but we have family in Atlanta. So I have been coming to Atlanta since I can remember. Um, and I, I, I feel you on the, when did Atlanta become so cool? And, but I think that, I think that it's always been cool. I think it's just as a kid, you don't see it that way. Um, because I remember coming like later in my teens and in my early twenties and thinking, gosh, there's so much stuff here. There's like really cool things happening with music. Um, there was really interesting things happening in the arts. Um, you know, my mother is an opera singer. She's retired now. So there was a lot of, all of that was starting to come in. So there's always been that creative spirit. I mean, you think about places like the Fox theater, um, there's always been music here. There's always been movies here. There's always been creative people here. Um, so but restaurants think, were one note. Yeah. And I will say that that was the one thing that I found really strange because it was like they were catering to a very specific audience of people who had this kind of gone with the wind, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I'm going to Atlanta. It's Coca-Cola and gone with the wind. And so and there piano. was, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and there was a lot of Southern stuff and it was like, okay. But I think that again, with the, with, you know, kind of the growth that was happening along Buford Highway, um, you know, you're starting, you were starting to see those restaurants become a real factor, um, especially amongst local people who were like, I don't want to eat at Piccadilly. I don't want to eat at, you know, Mary Max, you know, no disrespect to any of that, but it was mm -hmm. like people wanted more than just those types of things. They wanted more. So when you had Buford Highway starting to come into play with the number of restaurants and markets that were bringing all of this different type of food for people that had been living here, like yourself all their lives, it was like, Oh, okay. And so I think part of the, the chef, like the chefs that were coming up at that time were also being influenced by that. And they're like, okay, people are really mm -hmm. into this, mm -hmm. you know, like people mm -hmm. are, people are willing to drive to get something that isn't this, isn't that, isn't the same thing they grew up eating. They want something, they want something more worldly. They want something that's going to be interesting to them and bring different perspectives. And I, I truly believe that Buford Highway was part of that, was part of that. Mm -hmm. um, we owe a lot to Buford Highway. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like my home away from home. But it, it's, it's just interesting now, like, because we just never used to have, like, for instance, like Korean or yeah. Japanese in town, unless it was like super watered down or like the one spot. Like Raja was like the one Indian inside of the perimeter, you know, forever. And now there's like a Korean that just opened on Howell Mill. You know, right. I mean, it's just it's right. it's just so interesting to me. Um, another thing about just like re the restaurant scene in Atlanta is how much they help one another. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a lot of heart. Um, do, can you speak to that? I mean, we see with how people have rallied around Ticonderoga after, you know, their pipe burst during that extreme yeah. weather, mm -hmm. um, hosting them for pop ups so they can, you know, keep, you know, their bottom line tight. Um, yeah. Uh, can you talk about that? Like, do you think that's something special to Atlanta? Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, a prime example of that, that spirit of being, you know, 
trying to help each other out at, at all times is the giving kitchen. I mean, my God, that, that was like, uh, that wouldn't, I'm sorry, that just wouldn't happen anymore. Can you else. explain what it is for people who may be outside of ATL? Sure. So the Giving Kitchen um, is an organization that, uh, it's a nonprofit organization that basically uh, is helping restaurant industry workers who are currently experiencing um, a crisis, whether it be a health crisis, financial crisis, um, something in which they are either not able to work because of an accident or a death in the family, or they're experiencing, you know, serious illness. Um, and so the Giving Kitchen comes in and provides grants um, for people so that they don't, you know, suffer. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's no secret that this industry doesn't, <laughs> as a reputation as a whole, does not exactly care for its workforce the way it should. So most most people are either uninsured, um, are working very you know low wage, um, high many many hours on their feet type of jobs. Um, so the Giving Kitchen allows you know people that may have had a kitchen accident um, or have had serious crisis happen in their family and they need to take time off so that they're not losing their income or losing their home. Um, because of something that they couldn't avoid. And I think that that particular organization is just one thing that kind of encapsulates, you know, what the spirit of this industry in Atlanta is all about. It's always amazing to see um, how much of this big city and not just the big city aspect, but the metropolitan area as a whole, comes together as an industry when something terrible happens to one of their own, you know, and it's really been fascinating to watch um, the, the, as we called it, the, the great uh, pipe burst-a-thon over, <laughs> over December where people's, you know, restaurant pipes were just bursting out of control because it was so cold. Homegrown did too. Oh, I was like, oh my God, another one. <laughs> no, it was literally like every other day. And people were donating money. They were trying to help each other out. Like, hey, my restaurant's fine. What can we bring over? You know, I mean, it was just like, and so COVID also, again, during that really dark year uh, where restaurants were just kind of, maybe we don't know if we're opening, when we're opening, what's happening. People just rallied around each other and gave each other jobs, helped each other out, you know, it was, and I think that's just how it is. And I think there's such a small town aspect to everybody's worked for someone in this industry. Mm -hmm. They all know each other. And it's, um, it's been, it's been really great because I do think that the small town of this big city, the heart of that, of that community, it's just, they're just, it's tight. There it's a tight community. It's a mm -hmm. tight industry. Mm -hmm. It's probably tighter than I mean, I, I, you know, I love New York, but I will, t I'll tell you something right now. It is not as tight as when you get down here. It is, I mean, I've had people who've moved here from New York, from LA, from Chicago, and they're like, this is a completely different community of restaurant people. Mm -hmm. Big hearts. You're listening to the Food That Binds with Jennifer Zeman. This is my interview with Beth McKibben, the editor of Eater Atlanta. Yeah. And very giving. It seems like people want to compete with others, like when they're doing their best, which is 
in my opinion, the best way to win. But um, you did mention COVID, and that is something I want to talk about because it, it it just for restaurants, for Atlanta restaurants, even for us as people covering it and diners, uh, parents, it, it was very difficult. Um, yeah. And it's sometimes I find myself sitting in a restaurant and it's a bit surreal still. I'm not even like, I'm like, oh, okay, like we're back here. Like I really <laughs> thought... <laughs> Like George Banks, I had him as one of my guests early on in season one. And he was like, diners are forgetful. Like yeah, they're yeah. going to go back. And I was like, no way. Like people, and he was right. You know, they are back. You know, like yeah. you posted, you you, know, you did a roundup of like all the restaurants that were opening in February, I think. Um, and even I was like, holy cow. <laughs> like I can't. Like, so many. Yes. Gearing so up for patio season um, oh, in Atlanta, which is a big thing. But but where are we? Like you're, you're about as close to a doctor of Atlanta restaurants as I get. Can you, what's our temperature? <laughs> I think the state of the restaurant industry in Atlanta is good. I think we are not a hundred percent on our feet yet. And I think that, um, we're getting there. I think it's going to be a process over the next year. Um, the, the, the pandemic, which, you know, we're still in, um, it really did a lot of damage to this industry. And a lot of it, as I was sadly right about, wasn't going to be seen for quite some time. And the reverberation of, of that kind of those little microwaves have now become larger waves and even larger waves. And the tidal wave of closures you were seeing in other cities like LA and New York hasn't didn't hit us until this last year. And I think that a lot of restaurants were hanging on as best they could. Um, but the financial impact of what happened that first year really, really hurt a lot of a lot of business, a lot of the bottom line. Um, not to mention there was inflation to deal with ingredient prices, which sadly, you know, nobody wants to pass that on to the diner, but they have no choice. They have to do that or they go out of business. So, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you weren't paying that before the pandemic, but now you're going to be paying a little bit more for that chicken or a little bit more for that beef, um, because that's how much it costs now. And, they don't want to do that, but that's how they have to roll. And then you have some of the labor issues that have been going on over the last couple of years as people have kind of moved on from the industry. Um, it took a, it took a big toll on the industry, um, not just you know financially, but I think emotionally and physically, people are just exhausted. Um, and there's only so much you can do until you just burn out completely and you're mm -hmm. just like, I'm done, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is a combination of finances, burnout, just, you know, just diners got much more aggressive. Oh you know? my Lord. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, just some, sometimes I'm just sitting there looking at people going, are you really just going to be that rude? Like, would you do that to your friend if you were in their home and you didn't like something they cooked you? My Lord, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to see that happening. Um, but I think that, you know, we are in, we're, we're stabilizing as, as a industry here every day. Um, and we're going to have ups and downs, I think over the next year, I think the next year is really going to be telling for a lot of restaurants. Hmm. Um, 
I think by next year, by 2024, I think the shakeout is going to be mostly over. Um, and I think this steady stream of openings will slow down a little bit. Um, some of these are leftovers um, from permitting that got hung up uh, and they had to delay. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of that delayed reaction situation happening with some of these restaurants now. Oh, okay. All right. We've, we were hung up in permitting or we had to wait because of this construction delay because there wasn't any material. I mean, this industry was literally like you threw it. You, if there was a, something that could go wrong, this industry found it. I mean, it was like construction problems, permitting issues, supply chain issues, inflation, labor issues, ingredient pricing. I mean, just everything. Mental health problems with the, <laughs> in everything. I mean, everything you could throw at them. Um, after COVID, you know, I, I, like I was mentioning earlier, m my relationship with restaurants really has transformed, evolved. I don't know where I'm at um, with that. Like, I'm definitely not reviewing restaurants anymore, which feels good to me because mm -hmm. I got to a point where, like, it felt like I was, like, picking apart like someone's like artwork and mm -hmm. it was just like it, like after the pandemic it just i don't know energetically bad <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. what what is your relationship like with restaurants right now i'm i'm back to a point um i think that like the restaurant industry people that have that work in the restaurants and in the bars here i'm also still coming out of the exhaustion of that year plus of having to cover crisis after crisis after crisis. It takes a real emotional toll on you to not just, you know, cover it, but you're hearing stories and you're ingesting all of that. Um, and it's, and it's like constant consumption of like, well, for some restaurant industry people I was talking to was terror of whether they were going to get sick um, and possibly die. Um, and then, you know, just hearing some of the scary stories with the encounters with diners who are being belligerent. Um, so, you know, I think my relationship is, I, I feel like I'm starting to come out of that fog of, oh, wow, we're, you know, we were in crisis and now it's like, okay, everything is starting to kind of slow down. Restaurants are starting to kind of get their flow back. Uh, and I'm excited to be in the dining rooms um, and, and in the on the patios, and I feel the energy again. But I think I'm much more aware of the emotional and physical impact that the pandemic had on the workforce. And while I've always been empathetic to the workforce, um, I'm even more so, I think, now because I can see it. And some people, they're just tired and you can tell they're trying so hard to hide it, but it's like, oh man, you know, I don't know if I can do this today. And you can just, you can tell. So it's always, I, you know, my husband and I dine out, you know, early in the, early in the evening. Cause you know, <laughs> we like the grandma hour dining, um, but I also feel like you know, just giving someone a smile or, you know, asking how their day is or like, how's everything going? Or, you know, somebody's like, oh, you know, oh, shoot, we screwed something up. It's like, no big deal. You know, it's fine. You know, just making people feel relaxed has been, I've been much more aware of making sure that I'm doing that. 
so that people aren't nervous or aren't feeling like, oh my God, I can't believe I, you know, screwed that up or I didn't say hi when I came over. Or I, you know, I apologize a thousand times because we were slammed and there's only three of us in the, you know, in the dining room and I've got four or five tables and, you know, it's just being more patient, I think. Um, I'm, you know, I think that's kind of where I'm at right now is that I'm still trying to kind of see where I am in the dining scene and where, where the, di where the restaurants are too, at the same time, if that makes any sense, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, you're trying to, you know, I'm doing my job, but at the same time, you know, I want to enjoy my experience. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, it became too, too much work. Yeah. You know, and then it's they recognize you and then, you know, yes. there's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not just like, you can't disappear and it's like easier to cook or get taken. <laughs> you no, know, like they want to talk to you or. Right. And you can't disappear. And there are days when you're like, I am exhausted and I do not want to be spotted. I don't want to talk to anybody. Mm -hmm. I just want to eat my meal in mm -hmm. peace. Talk to my husband, talk to my friends, whoever I'm with, um, dine by myself. If I'm reading a book, um, and I don't, you know, I slip in and out of places and there are times when I know I haven't been spotted. And then there are times when, you know, you have, and either because somebody comes out and says something to you, or you're like, suddenly everything is like different precision. I mean, it's just like, Oh Lord. And you feel bad because I, while I appreciate that they're making that effort, I'm like, well, you know, but you need to be doing this for everybody, not just me. And I'm not special and I don't review restaurants. That's the one thing people don't get about what the city side of things are with Eater. We don't review restaurants. Yes, we're in your restaurants and yes, we're gauging whether that restaurant might be on a list or might not be on a list. Um, and sometimes you not, that restaurant might not be on a list, be, not because the food isn't good, but because it doesn't fit the list that we're putting together. I mean, you have to realize we can't put every restaurant on a list. That's kind of the point, you know? <laughs> so if everyone, if, if you just don't read Eater, um, you know, they do these lists. Um, their two big lists are the Eater 38 and the heat map. And one is kind of just like the most essential restaurants, you know, in that city, according to kind of a collaborative effort, you know, mm -hmm. with the editor and their writers. And then the heat map is really like, you know, what's hot at the moment, right? right? It's right. like very, it's like a very quick snapshot. But right. I can't tell you, even though I'm just like a freelancer for Eater, every time one of those lists drop, how many DMs I get from chefs that are upset that they did not make the list or restaurants. And it's wild. I mean, they carry a lot of weight. Um, and, and I hate that because I'm like, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to leave you off the list. And to be honest with you, there's a 99.9% .9 chance that you're not on a list, not because you're terrible or that your restaurant is terrible. It's that I didn't know that that restaurant existed because there's thousands and thousands of restaurants in the city and I'm covering it by myself. So you tell me how you're going to curate all that. So a lot of it does come down to relying on people like yourself who do dine out. I have friends who are, you know, dining out more than I do, who are, you know, I guess they're like professional diners in a way because they dine out five, six, seven days a week. Yes. And I called them and I said, you know, I'll ask them, you know, you're 
eating at this place. What is, what are your thoughts on it? You know, I'm not able to get there and I will try to make an effort to get as to as many restaurants mm-hmm. as I possibly can. But so those lists are, like you said, a combination of me dining at these places and people like my freelancers mm-hmm. dining at these places who I call up and ask if I'm not able to get there. And then of course I have a very small group I hate calling them secret diners, but they are people that I rely on yes. who are eating out every single day almost. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I have friends people- like that too. It's wild. I mean, I just don't have yeah. the stamina for that. I, I didn't even, I didn't even prior to COVID, but you know, I like to cook a lot. So it's, it's difficult. Yeah, I, mean, I got to balance it. Yeah. But I think that that's the thing. It's like, you know, these lists do hold a lot of weight for, for a lot of reasons, but you know, I, it, it, it is, it is part of what has always made Eater both loved and hated. Um, and I'm aware of it. Um, and, and I can tell you how many times I get emailed or texted in the middle of the night, um, being sworn at, or (laughs) I can only imagine, I cannot even imagine. I'm like, wow. Okay. Um, Wow. And I, you know, I have a couple of trolls within the industry itself who troll our social media on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Yes, I know who you are. Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh, don't think that the rest of us who also work in other publications don't know who you are either. Um, but we do know who you are. Um, so, you know, maybe don't do that. Um, it's not a good look. Uh, I don't do that to you. Please don't do that to now us. Now I need to go and look at the comments. I'm like oh, curious yeah. what well, you're talking about. Might, some of them I delete because they're harassment. Yes. No, no, uh, no. You have to protect. Yes. And yeah. I don't I don't want my readers to be like consumed by that. It's like you're mm-hmm. a negative Nelly. Like really? Mm-hmm. Like I don't mind people arguing about how I forgot this or forgot that or you didn't put this on the list. So this list is invalid and all that kind of business. That's fun to me because I'm like, then you get people talking. There are discourse, yeah, right. And you know, a lot of times, what ends up happening with with some people, they're like, "Hey, you should check out this place," and it's like, "Oh, I haven't heard of this place, so I'm going to go check it out." And guess what? A lot of times, well, almost all the time, the person or people that are recommending a restaurant, which is what we want, um, are correct. Are correct. It's a great place, and it's going to probably get on a list sometime because mm-hmm. we, we're now aware of it. So word of mouth um, and the comments that we get on these lists are, you know, as much as some of them are really annoying and unnecessary, um, they are helpful. And I, you know, we, I love engaging with the readers. So I really do. And, you know, this is about them um, and about making sure that we're putting Atlanta's best foot forward uh, as much as possible when, in terms of eating and, and dining and restaurants. I mean, I can definitely tell that you care about Atlanta as a, as a food scene and as a restaurant scene, um, like in terms of like just food, like, I mean, today we talked about, you know, what sparked your interest in food and what it was like growing up with parents that took you out to eat so much, but like, what's your relationship like with food today? It's interesting because I think as I'm getting older, you know, food, uh, you have to work a little bit harder, um, to balance your your appetite with the fact that, you know, I'm only five feet tall. Um, and you know, I, I don't want to have a heart condition or cholesterol problems. So, 
you know, a lot of it has to do with portion control is, and so what I end up doing, and it's been more helpful now as I'm getting older and I've always kind of dined this way again, because of my parents, um, I do most of my dining is family style and we order multiple dishes and then all of us at the table are eating off of those dishes. So you're able to kind of create little mini meals and try, a, you know, a many, many different things all at the same time. And everybody mm -hmm. feels fed, but you're not being overfed. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, that has, that has helped. Um, and I, you know, I also, you know, part of, part of the balance. And I think that a lot of, a lot of chefs will probably agree with me on this. A lot of that food balance, like, cause they have to eat in the same manner. They have to test everything. They're, you know, constantly having to like consume. And that's why you see so many chefs that run. That's why you see so many chefs that, that cycle or swim and they're avid about it. And it's like, that's the same thing. I think with a lot of writers too, is that a lot of us are physically, you know, exercising, um, to kind of, you know, balance all of the vices <laughs> that come with eating and drinking because we do a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and restaurant food has a lot of sugar, fat yeah. and, 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 uh, and salt, you know, which yeah, is right. And, which yeah. isn't good for you. And no. <laughs> when you're eating it constantly, so you do have to like, you know, you do have to think about when you go out, it's like, yeah, I'd love a glass of wine, but I really don't need that right now. You know what I mean? So you do have to be careful, like, you know, where, what you're eating, how you're eating. Um, but I think just helping by, you know, sharing meals, not ordering your, your own entree, like you're ordering multiple things. And a lot of restaurants are not as, as mo I have very rarely do I run into a restaurant that, that is, poo-pooing that idea. They don't like that. You know, as most restaurants are like, that's fine. You know, yeah. they're like, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, it it's, and I always feel bad when I, when I dine with somebody for the first time who hasn't dined with me in that way. And I'm like, okay, so this is how you <laughs> normally go. I hope you're cool with that. You know, <laughs> but it, it's surprising because I've had people that are like, I'm not sure how that's going to work. And then they love it because they're like, I can try all these different things. And it's just, that's kind of how my relationship is. And I think it's as, as I'm getting older, it's, it's allowing me to consume, but not over consume. Yeah. Which I think as much as you have to dine out, I mean, you have to find a way around this. That's been a nice thing is, you know, having yeah. more control <laughs> for everything yeah. that I'm eating. But so just to food, like, I mean, if you are not eating at a restaurant and you are at home, mm. what are you cooking yourself for comfort? <laughs> um let's see or what drink are you making what are you <laughs> oh, the drink is always a martini yes you, um, she knows the best martinis in atlanta if oh, you it, you need to follow her just for that alone i think for us when we're cooking at home uh, to be honest with you noodles are and noodles and rice i'm not even i'm not even lying like anything we can do with noodles and rice it's like that is i'm constantly consuming noodles and rice and and it's a lot of it is like salads, um, you know, and, and I mean, hearty salads, you know, things that you can beef up with, um, with, with chicken, or you can do anything with beans. I mean, my Lord, I mean, I hate, I hate the fact that I'm omitting this, but the bean situation in our house where we have beans coming out of our ears, but we love them. And it's I like, love beans. yeah, I mean, and it's such a great protein substitute, you know, for meat. Um, I very rarely eat as, as much as I started out eating filet mignon when I was five, <laughs> I very rarely eat red meat. Um, and it's just because 
I don't need it. I don't crave it. Um, so we only maybe eat meat at home, maybe once, once a week, if we're cooking at home and that's it. I mean, most of the time it's vegetarian, um, vegan. Um, and it's not that we're, you know, trying to be all like, whatever. It's just that between health and also our concern for the climate, um, and just in general, you know, being more conscientious about how we're eating, what we're eating. Um, it's, it's really important that we, that we do that. So, you know, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm eating. Noodles, rice, beans. <laughs> it's really boring. <laughs> no, I mean, that's pretty similar to me. I have a noodle and chicken and rice and salad is like one of yeah. our go-tos when everyone's feeling bleh from restaurants, but, and, um, um, and dumplings. Yes, you yes. do love dumplings. <laughs> you, you're at Northern China eatery a lot. Um, that, so that's my next question to finish out the interview. Just like, is there anything that you have coming up that um, Eater has coming up that you want to promote any stories you're especially excited about um, and how people can keep up with you? Well, I mean, you know, honestly, just visit us, you know, at the site. Um, it's really, uh, we're, we're five days a week, Monday through Friday, it's being updated at least two stories, maybe three stories a day. So there will always be a new map, a new guide, a new story, a new opening. Um, feature stories we do. We just did one on Whoopsies, uh, the new uh, restaurant and lounge over there in Reynoldstown um, with Hudson uh, Rouse and uh, Tim Faulkner. I uh, can't say enough good things about those two dudes. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got some stories coming up. Um, we're working on a story right now that should hopefully come out next week on um, how bars uh, in particular ha and breweries in particular have embraced um, the bingo and D and D Dungeons and Dragons resurgence. And I find this incredibly fascinating. So That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm like, what, this is cool. You know, cause I remember Dungeons and Dragons being kind of the subculture of, of Gen X, uh, back in the eighties and early nineties. Um, but now you're starting to see it kind of be played out, you know, in places like joystick, uh, over there in Edgewood, Reds Beer Garden has uh, Punk Bingo, um, but I just find it fascinating that these games that are very were are, are kind of stereotypical mm -hmm. for certain you know cultures or certain types of folk have kind of come out into the mainstream and it's being embraced by the young people, um, you know. And I so that that's hopefully coming out um, next week. We've got a couple of stories on some chefs. Um, uh, that are going to be uh, publishing in the next um, two two women chefs that are going to be uh, publishing in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I'm trying to think. We've got we always have something going on. Um, <laughs> and another writer who just wrote uh, about um, uh, a spirit uh, that she's going to be sharing some cocktail recipes on. So it's uh, it's you know it's we've got a lot going on. A little bit for everyone. <laughs> Whether yeah, like yeah. cocktails or D and D or sandwiches, because <laughs> sandwiches are having some resurgence right now in Atlanta, like best sandwiches. I don't even, those things look like best sandwiches, ATL, like their Instagram is making me hungry. I know. Um, I forgot which is the other one. Bonafide. Bonafide. Oh, oh my God. That roast beef thing. Like I was like, what are you doing? I can't. It's, it's ridiculous. I, but it's so great because I 
think that, you know, the one thing that has always been fascinating about the way people like to dine in Atlanta is they want to dine really fancy and really fine, but they don't want to dress up for it, Mm-mm. which I'm fine with. They don't want to be stuffy. They want it to be totally low key, but they want to eat really, really well. And I think that the restaurants and bars here have figured that out and they have just, it's a formula now that it's like, this and work. that's what works here, not high fine dining. I mean, nope. but that's what when I lived in San Francisco, that's what it was the the yeah. mid tier. That's what would do so well. Yeah. Um, you know, like your Zuni cafes and stuff like right. that, like that right. level. And that's what we, I think we have in spades here, in addition to a global food scene that is like no other. But thank you for being here, Beth. And oh, um, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I, it was great to talk uh, to you and to share a little bit about what's going on around this town these days. (laughs) (laughs) But you didn't tell people where they can follow you and your work. Uh, Me personally, like on my like social media. Yeah. uh, Well, okay. Now I got to remember my social media handle. Well, I know on Instagram, it's uh, Soper McKibben. So S-O-P-E-R-M-C-K-I-B-B-E-N. And that's my Instagram. Um, And then I'm, uh, at the lazy Susan on, uh, Twitter and I'm not on TikTok, folks. Yeah. Neither am I. I feel, I feel really good about that. I'm holding strong. Um, I'm not all, right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy your Sunday. All right. Thank you. Well, that's this week's episode. Thanks to Beth for joining me. And thank you to you for listening. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or the food that binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, we're going to dig into the archives and pull out my interview with Erica Council, who now has the amazing breakfast and brunch spot bomb biscuits in Atlanta, Georgia. Erica was one of my favorite interviews from the past two seasons, and I wanted to share her words again. We'll be back next week with my interview with Erica Council. This has been Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. Thanks for listening.